Hello and welcome to the Swift Coders Podcast, where each week we interview an amazing Swift developer about their experience with Apple's new open source programming language. We hear their stories, learn their tips and tricks, and try to leave you feeling inspired and empowered on your Swift Coder journey. I'm your host, Garrick, and today's guest is Don Bora. Don is the co-founder of 8-Bit Studios, an end-to-end design and development firm based in Chicago, Illinois, as well as the co-founder of Mobile Makers, a mobile development boot camp with cohorts in Chicago and San Francisco. Welcome to the show, Don. Thanks a lot, Eric. Happy to be here. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a good day. I'm happy to have you on and to speak with you and to hear about, uh, you know, your story. So... What are you up to right now? You work at, or you're, well, you're the co-founder, but also uh, I'm assuming a principal developer of 8-Bit Studios. What do you guys do there? So we develop mobile applications uh, primarily. I think we're about 70-30 split right now. So 70% of our work is in mobile and about 30% of our work is um, the web. And so even when we're doing web, we're doing responsive, mobile responsive uh, applications. Right. So on the mobile side, we uh, we do primarily iOS, uh, but we have a, a small chunk of work also done on Android, and we're all native. So we develop Swift and, and Objective C on um, iOS, and Java and Android. So what is your role primarily there at Apid? So right, so I'm one of the co-founders. We started the company about eight years ago, and my principal role right now is running the dev team um, and any companies that do a large measure of development has a big development team and we're no different so the development team is probably the biggest team at 8-bit and we're about 12 developers so i spend wow. a lot of time running that running that team making sure um, client communications with the team are going okay keeping in touch with all the projects and then running some operations Wow. Okay. So you said 12 developers. How many of those are iOS or do iOS? Well, we have, um, there's a split. So we, I think we have four of them are iOS developers, but we have iOS that are also Android and iOS that are also Rails and Android. They're also iOS. So they're, even though their primary talent may be one thing, they're proficient in something else as well. Only a few of the people on my team specialize in one thing. Okay, cool. So what type of clients are you seeing mostly that are wanting uh, mobile applications, iOS applications? What type of businesses, products, or services are usually coming into your door? Yeah, so it's interesting. You know, when, when mobile first started out, we started to see a lot of um, kind of like smaller ideas or ideas focused around a marketing play if they were coming from a larger company. Right now, what we're seeing is some bigger asks from larger companies. So we're finally starting to see in the past few years some real, real robust, robust product development. Companies coming in with kind of their whole product suite, um, what they have internally, what they have externally, and they're trying to figure out their mobile strategy. One of the things we do is help them figure out that mobile strategy. So we'll sit down together, and even though they kind of have a rough idea of where they're going with their mobile strategy. They might not really know how to get from A to C. Um, so we kind of bring them into a room and we figure out where B is for them and try to get them to their end game. And that's, a, that's in the simplest terms. Interesting. So to, to hear that bigger companies are still trying to figure out their mobile strategy gives me kind of, uh, it makes me excited to think that there will be more projects in the future to work on. Oh, yeah. Because 
even for instance, the Wells Fargo app is still so outdated. <laughs> and I think how can a company like Wells Fargo or like, for instance, PayPal, like they just updated their app right. to, you know, be, I think maybe even use like size classes or something. <laughs> um, so, but to hear that from you, someone who works with um, business clients on a daily basis, it gives me a lot of hope to think that I'll have projects I can work on in the future. So that's really definitely. Cool. Yeah, definitely. And you know, when you, it's funny that you mention a lot of the apps that you're having issue with, those are largely financial institution, banking level apps, payment level apps. They have, they are held to a uh, stronger regulatory um, oh, wow. compliance structure than say a Facebook or, um, or Instagram. So they've got some work to do on their side to make sure that they're hitting all of their uh, compliance um, structures on their side before they release it to the public. Right, so that's way more important than the way it looks. Yeah, but it also increases their delivery cycle. So it may take them um, two to three times longer to put something together because of everything they've got to, like all the I's they've got to dot and the T's they've got to cross. Right, right. Okay, wow, that's interesting. Look at that, a little tidbit of knowledge <laughs> right there. Thank you, Don. That's been oh. six years in banking. That's all I got out of it. <laughs> so tell us about Mobile Makers. You're co-founder of Mobile Makers. It's a mobile development boot camp. You have cohorts happening throughout the year in Chicago and San Francisco. Uh, what's your role there? So my role just transitioned, and it's pretty exciting. I spent about three and a half years um, as the lead instructor. So initially, I helped develop uh, the curriculum for both the immersive boot camp and uh, the high school um, curriculum. And we have we have a, a pretty large high school offering, and we're getting more and more into high schools, and that's super exciting for me. Uh, we can talk about that later if you like. But um, so as I as I kind of surrounded myself with really amazing education people. We kind of figured out what's the best way to deliver content to adults, deliver content to adults. So get them to where they're absorbing the content, to where they're practicing day to day. And so I was an instructor there until last cohort. And then I've turned, uh, basically pulled myself back into more of an advisory role. So right now what they're calling me is program chair and advisor. So that means basically right now I oversee all curriculum, I manage curriculum changes, and I mentor the instructor base. That's great. I do a little bit of teaching through my meetup, and I relate to what you're saying, at least in some small way, where how do you create engaging content that helps people learn yeah. and really understand? Uh, so yeah, I feel you on that. Okay, so but what type of mobile development bootcamp, uh, what are you teaching? Is it iOS primarily or is yes. it Android? Okay, yeah. so it's iOS. We do have an Android curriculum. We have only executed it once and it was on an enterprise level. Okay, interesting for like a particular company. Correct. Okay, interesting, cool. So how did you get into all of this? Uh, did you, were you born with a computer and a keyboard in your hand or how did you get into programming? <laughs> no, I was born in 1967, Garrick. So uh, that's pre-keyboards in anybody's hands. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I was in high school. Um, actually, I graduated, graduated high school the year the Mac came out. Wow. So that'll give you some context. So when I was, uh, I actually, I owe, I owe a lot of this to my dad because when I, when I was in high school, my high school had a really interesting um, sophomore um, program around career services. They had you research a topic and then basically write about what your career was going to be like, how much you were going to be making, what you'd be doing on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, what your title was going to be, what your education background would have been. 
and I had no idea what to do. I was kind of um, uh, kind of a deer in headlights when it came to what do you want to do when you grow up. And remember, this is the early 80s. Computers didn't look like they look now. They were basically green screen terminals. Um, anything you'd see in the old war games with Matthew Broderick, that's kind of what they were like. Right. Where was this? Uh, so I was in, um, I was back up in Illinois by then. I was in Crystal Lake, Illinois. Okay. Uh, and so my dad, yeah, there's Crystal Lake Central High School, by the way. Shout out to my Tigers. So, at, tigers. Uh, <laughs> uh, so my dad, my dad said computers and I was like, you're crazy. This is the nuttiest thing I've ever, I was a very creative child. I would put on plays and, um, and I would, all my book reports had very, uh, bold titles and, and covers. And so I was, I was kind of stunned that he mentioned computers because it's like, oh man, he's not paying attention to me at all. Um, but I decided to do it because he's my dad and he said, you know, check this out. And I'm like, well, he's my dad. I got to preach in the choir. I don't have anything else to do. <laughs> Might as well just do this. Uh, and, you know, I ended up doing the report and then my dad bought me a computer and I started to get interested in what you could write things to display things. And that was really exciting to me. And then the Apple came out and it kind of changed the way I looked at the entire thing. Um, and then I majored it in school and, and I happened to go to a really, really good computer science school back then. And yeah, the rest is kind of history for me. So how did your dad or why did your dad suggest computers? <laughs> so he was in finance at Motorola and uh, he was surrounded by, you know, the early spreadsheets coming out of Mitch Kapoor and the crowd, Lotus 123, the old IBM 8086 machines. He was surrounded by that stuff. And also um, the accounting systems at Motorola had, were, were basically uh, mainframe-based, so IBM 360s. And I cut my teeth on those as an, as an intern. So he was surrounded by the technology and you know he saw like this stuff's not going away. So how did he suggest it to you? You were like, dad, I need to you know, <laughs> tell my teacher for this report like what my job is gonna be. What do you think? And he's like, well, why don't you do computers, son? Or what did that come about? <laughs> yeah, he sounded less like a Pixar character than that. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it, I was, gosh, this is, I'm, uh, so this is probably back in like 1982. So quite a while ago, my memory's stretching on this a little bit, but I'm pretty sure the conversation went, I don't know what to do. And he probably said, why don't you, why don't you just check out computers? Like do a, he said systems analyst. That was the title. And so I basically went to the library and started looking up systems analysts because kids, that's what you did back then. You went to the library to look this stuff up. Man, that's so great. It's so because your dad was working at Motorola, Motorola is obviously a technology company for mm -hmm. sure. Um, you know, and then here you are. That's just so great. And I feel like that the opposite of that is true for a lot of people. And but because well, what I'm doing with my meetup actually is making it easier for people to have access to this, these type of sort right. of coincidences. Right. Um, the reason I created Learn Swift LA, for instance, is because there was nothing like it on the east side. Everything is in Silicon Beach on the west side, Santa Monica, and I'm in Hollywood. And so uh, what if someone's on the east side? They can't make it to, to Santa Monica mm -hmm. to uh, have that inspiration, that coincidence a serendipitous experience and then change their life. So not that, you know, I don't want taking credit for changing people's lives, but no, you got you know, to, it's, I mean, it's, so you're an educator and that's, you know, kind of, uh, your responsibility. So, you know, that, you know, what Spider-Man says, or, you know, uncle Ben, when right, great power right. comes great responsibility. Okay. So you write this report, fast forward, you end up going to, uh, college for yes. computer science. What yes. school did you go to? 
So I went to New Mexico State University, ended up coming out with a computer science and, lingu and linguistics degree. Wow. So from the windy, you know, city to or from Illinois to the hot desert of New Mexico. Pretty much. Yep. Wow. So how was the experience at going, you know, going to the University of New Mexico and getting the computer science degree? I mean, did you were you still were you into it like very much at that time or was it still something you were kind of doing uh, for your family? Yeah, so that's a really, really good question. Um, and I, I, I guess I was never really doing it for my family. Um, I was doing it because I was set in a direction and I kind of have follow through. I, I have really good follow through skills. Uh, almost Reaching to a, the choir. Almost to a fault. <laughs> so, um, you know, I got into I, I started majoring in computer science and I started to meet people. But we were at this tiny little one room shack. Uh, at the school. Um, oh, wow. The next serendipitous thing was my uh, really good friend of mine from high school wanted me to go to Germany and study with him abroad. Wow. And so I ended up doing that, but not with him. I ended up going to Germany for a year. When I came back from Germany, that one room shack was gone and we had a three story computer research lab that had been built Whoa. by Bell Labs. Wow. And we did research for White Sands Missile Range, for Sandy National Lab, for Hughes Aircraft. It was a major research facility when I got back. And that's when things started to take off for me. I, I met a ton of it. I met some of the, uh, some of the very, very early uh, founding members of GNU Software. Um, I, mean, I didn't meet them because GNU didn't exist yet, um, but they, were, you know, they went to school with me. And these were phenomenally talented people. And I was very lucky. Wow. Okay, so I don't want to put words in your mouth. Not that you were doing it for your family. Maybe I read into that too much where I was projecting because that's kind of how I feel. Like I went to law school and became a lawyer for my family, right, my dad, right. and my mom wanted me to do that. And, uh, you know, but now I'm, I'm doing uh, programming. Uh, but, you know, our parents have, a, have an effect on us. And oh, definitely. For you, um, you were lucky. You had this creative um, sort of leanings in through programming, through software development. I feel like I'm able to explore my creative side as well as my intellectual. Uh, I want to go back to what you said about how you could you could program something and you could see it on the screen. I think that was mm -hmm. one of the first things uh, that was really interesting to you. And now you're mentioning these really brilliant people. Uh, it, these were some things that were making you excited about programming. Can you talk about that in general? Like what is it about programming that um, I mean, you've been doing it since since '84? Uh, it sounds like yeah, yeah, about '83, '84. So um, yeah, let me let me address something you just said though. So I've always kind of um, every stop in my career, I've been able to find out. I think I just can't help myself to to stake out the most creative aspect of a project or of a team or of a company. So you know, I said I spent six years in banking and I had a fantastic time there. And I managed to, you know, find the most creative portions of projects, or the most creative projects, or even come up with ideas that that would bring the, you know, whatever whatever team I was working on, or whatever infrastructure I was surrounded by, uh, into a, like a slightly more creative area. So I've always kind of been driven by that um, visioning, like seeing. It, when I said I could, you could use programming to see results. Uh, back on the app, I had it. My dad got us an Apple II, uh, two, two E, I think. It was the little guy with this little like twelve-inch screen, and I remember doing graphing on it, and I thought that was really really cool. Um, playing these text-based adventure games, and and I can kind of envision how how to code them. And when I got into school, uh, actually when I got 
back from Germany and I got, uh, it was, you know, we were working in these labs and I met friends. I was just telling my daughter this morning that we had a, um, we had a calculus assignment where I had to calculate the, the uh, surface area of my body. And the way they had structured this exercise was you would, you would trace your body on a big piece of paper, several pieces of paper, and then graph it. And then you'll basically take the area under the curve and whatnot. And I was hand calculating these in the computer lab. And my friend, a uh, really, really, really smart guy, walks by and he goes, dude, why don't you hack that? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, throw all those numbers in a text file, write a little C program to calculate that when you're done. And I was like, oh my God, you're a genius. Wow. <laughs> and this these little steps of like, like little steps of practical application of whatever the current problem was. And that's what, that's what started to hook me. Is that what you were learning at the time or is that how you started learning with C or is it? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, at New Mexico state, they started the curriculum in Pascal. Um, and then the more advanced topics got it a module or two, and then you would go to C and C plus plus, then you would branch out depending on speciality. So I branched out a little bit into prologue and lisp. Um, and we got exposure to a lot of languages through a, through a special course to explore languages. Um, but yeah, that was, I was exposed to maybe like six or seven languages in school. So what did you do when you graduated? What was your first job? Uh, so when I graduated, uh, I hadn't figured out my politics yet. And I graduated in the middle of pretty much military uh, operations central. So you're right next to aerospace industry and White Sands and Sandia National Lab and Los Alamos. And basically, at the time when I graduated, I was just like, I don't know if I want to go, go into government. I don't know when I, like, where my, where I, where, where my head lies there. Right. So I ended up coming. My parents had moved back to Chicago by then, and I, met, I came back to Chicago. I ended up working at Motorola. That was my first job. Oh wow, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, followed in his footsteps. <laughs> so then, how did you end up creating your own studio? Uh, so about 15, 16 years ago, I created my first company and we were a web objects consulting firm. Um, and if you know anything about web objects or Apple or the history there, you'll know that, um, that was basically objective C, uh, switching over to Java in that, that time. So, uh, I started the company, you know, we, we were pretty successful. We spun off a dating site off of that. That was, that was not successful. We shut that down. And it's funny, I was, um, I was at Bank of America kind of looking for a career ending. I was just like, you know what, I'm just turning 40. I just want to have some place where I could just like grow old. And I had told this to a buddy of mine, a really, really smart uh, friend of mine at Bank of America. He was one of the top 1% of performers in the company. And we were sitting down one day and I told him this and he goes, really, man? He goes, you're done? And I thought you had more in you than that. And I was like, son of a gun. He, uh, he started the thing. He started my brain trickling again nice. and I kind of figured out why the first company had failed and what I would do differently going forward. Um, and basically first company failed because it was three tech guys. And mm. when you have three tech guys in a room, we all had really good points to make. We all had, uh, we were all correct all the time and we couldn't, it was hard for us to, to figure out a direction to go in. Right. So I decided the next time I do this, I'm not going to start it with tech people. So fast, fast forward, maybe two years, I'm at a company called Design Kitchen. They, don't, they, they were bought out and 
I met a design person, I met UX, and we started to talk and figure things out and realized that we were all doing like side projects. And so we kind of came together and did side projects until we turned it into 8-Bit. And when 8-Bit got started, was it already mobile or was it still web at that time? No. So it was still web at the time. This is funny. I've been telling this story a lot. So it was still web and we were doing a lot of web projects and I had a website project. And the iOS SDK had re- had for real been released. You remember when the Apple when the phone came out? Uh, Is web apps exactly? Yeah, and, and then 2008, I think the SDK and the App Store came out. There you out. go. So we were kind of like uh, we're like a nights and weekends shop at the time. We all had real jobs, and we're all just kind of fooling around, um, doing things on the side, and pulling each other in. So you know, I need your design, or I need some tech chops here. When the SDK dropped, um, I remember. Vividly, I'll never forget the Skype conversation with uh, John and Steve, my 8-bit partners. I said, guys, I've seen the SDK. I'm writing an app right now. I've, this is all familiar to me. This is basically next step. I've been using this since the 90s. We have five years on everyone right now if we get going. Wow. And they were both like, we're totally in. They, they both really, Steve, the, uh, our uh, executive creative director and partner, he really, really wanted to get into mobile. John is... Um, uh, equally on the UX side, he's they so they both saw a lot of creative problems to solve on mobile that that pretty much they were kind of they were a little done solving it on the web. They kind of wanted a challenge, so that was it basically. Did you guys all have iPhones? Yes, yeah. I <laughs> so I had a T-Mobile iPhone. I basically this was back when you couldn't unlock them, so I unlocked my phone and kept the T-Mobile for a long time. <laughs> What? How did you unlock it? Like you could just unlock it back then? Yeah, just like they you were. Can now or? No, no, no. There were root kits that you had to download and, you know, there was Whoa. a slight. Yeah. <laughs> you were like cutting edge. I had the original iPhone, but I never occurred to me that I was going to program it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the minute when I, when I saw the iPhone, I was like, okay, I kind of know what's going on there. I basically had a sense it was OS X. And when I saw the SDK, I'm like, oh my God, this is all next step. And I really hadn't looked at Coco in years, so I had no idea what, what Apple had done with it. And yeah, I was just totally blinded by how much I loved the phone. I didn't <laughs> think about the like what it could be, oh, or me what neither. it would be, yeah. or that I could be a part of that. I was just, I knew, before the iPhone came out, I wanted the iPhone. <laughs> you know, I was, I was following all the rumors. Right. And, uh, and yeah, when it came out, I just was, I just loved my phone, um, mostly for the maps, but yeah, <laughs> right, it, right. it didn't occur to me till like 2014 that, Hey, I want to make an app and maybe I could do that. Yeah. And let me be clear. I wasn't pressing it at all. I wasn't predicting a huge mobile takeover. I just saw space that I wanted to get into that drew to, that drew me. Yeah. I think that that's, uh, that's, well, that's more than me. That's great. That's awesome. I mean, to me, I'm just excited to hear that. Like to, to think about being in your shoes at that time, it, to me, it sounds like it could have been really exciting, or it was exciting. It was, yeah. It's, okay, and it still is, yeah. So you're doing mostly web. iPhone SDK comes out. 8-Bit Studios is like, let's get on this. So that was when you started getting into iOS development. Uh, fast forward, how did you end up co-founding Mobile Makers? So uh, at the time, my co-founder, um, who was CTO at a, um, at a rival company just down the street, he approached me and said, you're on a very short list of people we're considering as, as, as a lead instructor for this new thing we're doing, um, mobile makers. And I said, all right, well, tell me. And I saw the short list and I'm like, dude, none of these guys are iOS developers. <laughs> so we sat down and we talked and basically he was, he was trying to solve 
a similar problem that I was trying to solve, which is basically where are we finding developer talent uh, mm. for iOS? And for me, I thought that I would be able to take talent out of banks because, you know, back in the uh, late 80s and early 90s, it was all next up in UBS, uh, Swiss Bank, Bank of America, uh, First Chicago. They were all in Chicago and they were both, they were all um, next up backed by Pro Data, data System. So I thought that I could just source developers out of there, but nobody was interested. Nobody wanted to jump ship. Nobody wanted to get a contract. So I was kind of at a loss. I'm like, I can't find any developers. Um, and my co-founder was in the exact same position. We when thought, was oh, this? This Sorry. was, this is uh, back four years ago, almost four years ago. Yeah. Four years ago this summer. Wow. Okay. Interesting. So you were, you guys were not able to find really good iOS developers four years ago? Not really good. We're, in, we're only wow. able to find them, period. Wow, really? Like and in was, Chicago or just yeah, in general? just in Chicago. And it was so frustrating because we knew that all this Objective-C talent was just floating around Chicago. I knew them. I knew some of the Mac OS X guys. I knew some of the Cocoa guys. I knew Apple. I've known Apple guys for years in Chicago and some of the core contributors. And it was just, it Why was Why wasn't dry. it translating to iOS? I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, maybe maybe at the time it was so new that it, it was somewhat entrepreneurial to be going into iOS. Oh wow! Okay, all right. So you guys are thinking, hey, we need to we need to train people. We need to train people to find you know, that way. We have employees, people to yeah. help us build. Yep. Okay. That's exactly and so right. he he said, hey, we want you to come teach uh, teach. We want you to design the curriculum. That's right. And I I had zero experience in doing any of that. Um, I, <laughs> I like to think I'm pretty good at explaining technical things to non-technical people, but when push came to shove, I really didn't have any experience whatsoever. So I happened to run into, as we were doing the pilot program, I happened to run into, um, a learning scientist at a, uh, at 1871, which is a pretty big, um, tech incubator space here in Chicago. And my second job out of college, we didn't talk about, but it was in learning sciences and artificial intelligence uh, industry. And so when I met this guy, I was like, I need your help really, really badly. And so he and I sat that we, we ended up hiring him as a contractor and we sat down and crafted the basic structure that we still use today. Um, and that stands on the shoulders of like 30 years of learning science research. Wow. What is that? Uh, so, you know, our core curriculum is based on a pattern of you uh, observing an expert, discussing, and then doing exactly that. And these are in small little 15-minute chunks so that you're you're basically building muscle memory in your brain as you're going along and doing. Wow. And that's it, basically. Um, other than, you know, just like using industry knowledge to tease out what's absolutely fundamentally required for a developer when they get that first job. Wow. So when did you guys launch your first cohort? We launched our first cohort three years ago, January. Wow. Okay. And how many cohorts have you guys done or how oh, many boy. people would you say you've taught? Well, it's easier to count students, I think, because I always lose. We, we've done a couple of corporate programs um, and oh, we've right. done some nights and weekends for, for developers. So it's easier for me to think about students. I think we've got close to 500 students graduated. Wow. Okay, so originally it started out as a way to create your next employee. Is that still the case, or is it now just you're teaching people for other people? Yeah, so now, so you know, there's only we're a small company. We don't it, it doesn't intend to get huge. Um, we've got we've got growth plans, but they're 
they're special. Uh, that's all I'll say about that right now. Cool. Um, so we, you know, we don't have the need for 50, 100 developers, but we know people in town that do. And in Chicago, basically when we started um, 8-Bit, the Chicago startup scene was just starting to take off. And right now, I think the statistic is still a startup is founded every 24 hours in this city. So there's a wow. tremendous need right now for developers, for people that can build a product. So right now we're, I mean, my mission, my, my mission when I started Mobile Makers and our, our shared mission right now is to enable people to change their lives. Oh, wow, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Preaching to the choir. But it's interesting. So I'll bring up high school for just a second. Um, Please. We started getting into high school for, uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge advocate of, of women and girls in tech. And it, it turns out that uh, girls drop out of technology around seventh or eighth grade. So my feeling was if we could get the, them internships um, at a younger age, maybe they can see the cool factor there. So I started a nonprofit and we ended up killing that because it was really, really hard. So I went back to mobile makers and I'm like, can we do anything in high school? And the, the basic premise is, look, we're solving a problem right now that doesn't have to exist. We're taking um, people that have majored in history or English or philosophy or, or, or whatever, maybe they don't even have degrees. They get out, they decide they didn't want to do that for a living. And they look into boot camps and they decide they want to code. What if they didn't have to make that decision? What if that decision was earlier in their lives before college? What right. would that look like? So basically, I want to try to put the boot camp out of business <laughs> by getting high school students really, really jazzed about this. And what's the reaction so far for oh, from man. the high schools, the teachers, the students? It the has parents? been tremendous. It has been tremendous. We we piloted in six schools in Illinois, um, and the two uh, two of our bigger schools, uh, Prospect High in Mount Prospect and uh, Barrington High School in Barrington, Illinois. Uh, the first semester they ran the program, the, after, that, after that first semester, they had a waiting list of incoming freshmen signed up for the class. So they, they basically doubled their computer science enrollment in six months. So this is a class just like a normal class that they would take. It's not like extracurricular or something. It's, in, it's like a program inside the high school just like any other. Right. Program. Yeah, it was, it was, I mean, it was... Um, it was a non-required class, but now since the, there's a coding curriculum push by, um, by the federal government, now they're, they're becoming more and more core. Uh, but yeah, it, when it started out, it was uh, not extracurricular. What's that called when it's... Uh, um, AP maybe, like advanced? No, when it's not elective? required. Elective, there we go. Yeah, it was elective, but now it's, uh, I think it's, it's coming more and more required. I'm not sure exactly what, what's going on there. So what are you guys doing differently, or what is it about people coming from the outside going into a high school? Why is it more interesting or more exciting? What are you guys doing that the high school wasn't doing before? We are basically, well, it depends on, on the school and it depends on the teacher, but all of our lessons are project-based, which means that the students are, are focusing more on the project work and less on the content. The Very content, engaged then. Exactly. The content is a means to deliver, um, I'm sorry, the, the content is a means to deliver the project. So, uh, so they're building, I think, three or four apps through the course of the year. Wow. And they actually kind of do a little hackathon at the end where, they, where their final project is an app they build and then they showcase it at the end of the year. Well, I, I, don't know, I get really excited about this stuff. One of my cousins is a teacher in South L.A., which uh, um, I don't know if you're not familiar, is I guess an underserved area. Mm -hmm. I'm not too you know, familiar with, with it, but teachers I speak to like him, for instance, tell me about that. And I reached out to him 
to let him know, hey, I would love to host my meetup there. Um, it'll just be me and I'll come and I'll teach your students. And he made it sound like there was a lot of red tape and things. So it'd be hard, but I have something drawing me towards that. Maybe there'll be a time when mobile makers can uh, do a program for uh, South LA or LAUSD. I mean, that would well, be really amazing. Yeah, it's funny. We just, uh, so my CEO was just out there. Uh, Jesse Chartier was just out in LA um, a couple right, months which ago. Right, which is how you and yeah. I met through Jesse. Yep. And she actually was there to do some high school stuff. So, oh, wow. Yeah, so we're, we're going gangbusters with, uh, with high school. We can't okay. scale quick enough. Well, you, you have an advocate and a, and a volunteer right <laughs> here, so let me know. Yeah, so real quick, just to let you know how um, Don and I met was through Jesse, the CEO of Mobile Makers, and I met Jesse through Bear Douglas from Twitter Dev. So back a couple, you know, a little while ago when I did the Twitter Dev Swift Coders LA meetup at General Assembly, uh, you know, Bear was there, and then Bear said, "You know, hey, you got to meet Jesse." Jesse and I, uh, you know, chat and ch you know had a conversation, and I asked her if there was anybody I could interview that she knew, and she told me that Don is a Swift ninja, and that I should uh, <laughs> I should talk to John, well, uh, talk to Don. So, <laughs> well, okay, I don't so, know about that. I, I don't wear <laughs> I don't wear a whole lot of black when I code. So, <laughs> so I wish I could talk to you more about. Uh, you know about all that, but I want to move into your experience with Swift, and, mm -hmm. and I think we'll we'll be able to talk about mobile makers, and, and I want to talk about the the students. But before we do, I just want to thank someone who left a review on iTunes. Uh, the person's name is Miguel, Miguel Miguel, I think, uh, Miguel Miguel. Yeah, he said, "Great podcast!" Exclamation point, five stars. It's a great place to get started with Swift, and. Just want to say thank you so much, Miguel, for leaving that review. Um, I'm creating this content for you and everyone out there. So, yeah, um, let me know if there's anything you'd want me to do differently to make it even better for you. So, Don, let's move into your experience with Swift. Uh, Swift came out June 2014. Do you remember, were you listening to the keynote? Oh, what, yeah. What was going on? <laughs> what was going on? Were you at DubDub? I wasn't, but I wish no, I was. No, no. Okay, so, um, so I was, uh, we... It was a non-Mobile Makers Day for me. We're in the middle of a cohort, uh, and I knew that they were going to watch it. And then I was at 8-Bit. We have a tradition of watching all of the keynotes, um, no matter how boring they may be sometimes. Uh, we, you know, we order in food, and we watch it, and it's a good time. Uh, so I was at 8-Bit watching it. <laughs> they not Swift. And I could almost hear the jaws drop. Uh, we're, our, at the time, 8-Bit was about maybe a half mile away from Mobile Makers. And I could almost hear the, the tumult start. And of course, all of a sudden, the chat blows up. Like, oh my God, what are we gonna do? <laughs> oh right, because you guys have to like uh, rewrite your not rewrite, but like you know adjust your curriculum. Yeah, we have, to, we have to keep pace with the industry. Right. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Better. Better yeah. stated. Yeah, and 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 keeping pace with the industry had been pretty easy because Objective C had been dormant for so long. And right. I, it was I only. I feel like they never said anything about Objective C or about a language like their programming language no. for a really long time. No, they never did. Mostly because I mean, let's face it, Apple Script. Oh, I don't know anything about <laughs> AppleScript. It's terrible. I'll go on oh, record okay. right now. It's terrible. Okay. Yeah. So you're sitting there. You your chat's blowing up. Like, what are we gonna do? Yeah. What What were you thinking? I, you were maybe kind of uh, in a conflict. You kind of wanted to watch, but then at the same time, you're like, I have to like think about my curriculum. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's funny. I I laughed. I mean, I was like, this is awesome. This is the smartest thing they could have done. You know, coders by nature, we're we're learners. We're lifelong learners. Most coders you meet 
will have exposed themselves deliberately to tens of new technologies and tens of new languages throughout their career. Um, and when you go into the Apple ecosystem and you start developing iOS, you're very locked in. Right. And I was just thinking to myself just recently, man, am I going to be, am I going to be objective C coder for the rest of my life? Is this it? Wow. If I want to stay in mobile and boom, they dropped Swift. And I was like, man, that was a good play because now we can start playing around with all these features that everyone else is talking about in, um, in the airline community and, uh, to a much lesser extent, the rest community now, because they're pretty new, uh, in object, uh, C sharp and Java have been playing around with a lot of those same structures. So it was, for me, I was laughing. I was like, this is perfect. This is fantastic. Um, there was some panic inside of mobile makers. Um, but I basically said, look guys, I've been here for, I've been through this a couple of times. Um, I was here when Java came out. Um, uh, so don't, I, I wasn't, I wasn't even close to sweating it because, um, I knew that Swift adoption would be slow. Uh, that is to say in Apple terms, it would be slow. Uh, Swift adoption has been amazingly quick and Apple's been very, very dialed in to making sure that it's production ready at any step of the game. So it's been very impressive to watch them push out feature after feature after feature in yeah. such a short amount of time. Yeah, it's really just exciting. Um, so did you just jump right in? Did you watch the introduction oh, yeah. to Swift, Intermediate, and you nah. just started learning it? Yeah, I didn't watch any videos or anything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what did you do? You read the book? No, well, we sure. You know, all of us that afternoon, um, you know, the, the instructors at Mobile Makers were all, uh, at the time, were, were uh, pretty objective C experts. And we'd been around the block a few times. So uh, we had uh, independently just downloaded the SDK. Download, well, actually, I think that the, I'm not sure if the SDK was available that day or not, but the book was definitely available. And so I was done through the book and I'm like, okay. I'm seeing five languages in here, so I get mm -hmm. it. I see like smatterings of uh, C Sharp and Java and Ruby and um, Objective C and JavaScript. Okay, cool. There were some constructs in there that were not familiar to me because I'd never done functional programming before. But I was like, okay, this this makes sense. And I just basically started to port. Um, we I port. I took a one of the earlier in the curriculum uh, challenges, and I started to port that over to uh, to Swift just to see how it would feel. Wow. Okay, so a very practical approach to learning the language. I mean, you had enough experience where you kind of saw what the basic, uh, you know, structure and syntax, et cetera, features were, and you just started converting one of your applications. That's really cool. It's probably something the way I would do, like a very practical approach. Yeah, I mean, you to... know, it's, it's not like the sky is falling. You know, it's this, it's this exciting thing. This is something new, a new opportunity for everybody, so... I was, so, I was, I was over the moon. I was pretty happy. Me too. For me, it was very, it created a lot of hope. It made me feel like, okay, now right. I don't have to learn Objective-C. I can learn this <laughs> language, which is more just like a natural language to me. Uh -huh. It just seems like English. So at 8-Bit, did you guys uh, start adopting it? And no, then, no, no, okay. no. No, in fact, you know, that's, and that's one of the things that when, when, when we sat around at Mobile Makers and started talking, um, there was some some scuttle around. Well, we got to do this immediately. And I said, look, we're we're at least a year, uh, aggressively a year out from any shops trying wanting to release code in Swift. Um, we're a year away from it being production ready. It's it's right now. It's something that that people are going to toy with and work with for a while. But we are at least one year out from people actually trying to start to deploy. We're probably five years out from major adoption. 
Um, and that's pretty much what we're seeing. It's, it's been pretty aligned. So, you know, we, we gave, we, we messed around with Swift internally to 8-bit. We decided that it wasn't quite ready for production, mostly because the tool sets were way behind. Xcode was not up to dealing with Swift. It still had some bugs and it made, it made development cycles longer. Um, and then the bridging technology between Objective-C and Swift wasn't working. Um, incremental compiling wasn't working. So there were a lot of things that slowed development down a lot. So we when saw that and we were like, you know what, we just gotta we gotta back off. And it took us about, I would say we started leading projects with Swift, uh, I would say middle to late of 2015. So where would you say it is now? Um, it's solid, it's nice and I mean, all of our projects right now, we lead with Swift unless, unless we're told otherwise by a client. And oh, it's, pretty yeah. rare, it's pretty rare for a client to know enough to direct a language. Um, but yeah, we're leading all of our projects with Swift right now. Oh, wow. That's great. Okay. So then at Mobile Makers, though, was it something that you guys started planning for immediately? Yep, immediately. So we, the first thing we did was we, um, based on what I thought was going to happen industry-wide, we decided to take the high school curriculum and rewrite it completely in Swift. Nice. So the high school never saw the Objective-C curriculum. They just had the Swift curriculum. And the logic there being by the time they get out of school, high school or college, by the time they get into college, for sure, uh, everything will be in. There'll, there'll, there'll be a lot of Swift opportunities. Um, That's a great call. Yeah, that was that was a smart move made by everybody on the team. Um, and so we basically started to roll. Uh, we started to do it small. So we basically keep the percentage of our curriculum in Swift completely commensurate with the percentage that I'm seeing in the industry. Um, so right now we are we have a four week intensive curriculum uh, a quarter of that is in swift wow okay so people in, in your at mobile makers are still learning objective c yep 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 absolutely wow. absolutely you can't you can't you can't be an ios freelance uh developer or even you know go into work for, it, it, actually especially you can't be a like an enterprise ios developer and not know objective c because you will run across legacy code. You will have to get in there. Right. Unless you're just working in a completely new project. True. I'm assuming, yes. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But even, but, and then if you're, I mean, if you're freelance and you're going in uh, and you're recommending and doing that, that's one thing. If you're freelance and being hired out by a small consulting firm to do something, that's where you'll start to run into some legacy code. Right. So then as, uh, you know, over the years, you'll start to slowly, you know, with the industry, you'll move Objective-C out and move Swift in if that's what the industry does. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We're all about, and remember, we remember our mission is to change, to help people change their lives. Uh, and we do it through teaching them how to code. Um, they are not going to be uh, useful to anybody if they can't, if, they, if there's no market for it. Right. Right. Wow. Yeah, interesting. I mean, even now, I, I look for uh, iOS developer jobs on a weekly basis, and a lot of them, they still want Objective-C because they yep. have an existing code base. Um, yeah. And so the Swift-only jobs are are definitely smaller. It's a lot of new companies, you know, yeah. new startups. And that will um, change. So It'll change over time. I guarantee it will. Um, but I also firmly believe that Objective-C is not going away completely. Right. Interesting. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about the people that are coming through, not the uh, the high school students, but the people that are coming through your um, adult program, I guess we could call it. Mm -hmm. uh, can you tell us a little bit about, about the demographic 
uh, you know, w what's their age? What's their background? Are they programmers? Are they sure. non-programmers? Yeah, and we just call that our immersive program. Okay, and immersive program. Yep, it's made up usually of, um, I would say the, the, the core skew for age range is about um, mid-20s to mid-30s. Um, cool. With the outliers being that we will get an occasional uh, high school to college transition, somebody who's somebody who's uh, transitioning to college, then we'll get somebody in their forties or fifties. Those are the outlier cases, and we do see those quite often. Um, just not just not as numerous as the twenty-five to thirty-five split. The people coming in are usually without a coding background. I would say more often than not, they don't have a coding background. Um, how would you say uh, they're, I mean, what's, what's going through their mind usually when they, these non-programmers, when they come to you and you, you speak with them, what's sort of, what situation are they in and why are they coming to you? Uh, usually they've done something on their own. They've started, they, they, you know, they looked at uh, Khan Academy or Code Academy or uh, Team Treehouse or some of the online courses, uh, in some cases, General Assembly as well. And they, they, they've seen something they liked and they're interested um, and they made some progress on their own, but they're looking for somebody to kind of, you know, kick them in the, kick them in the butt a little bit and get them going, hold them accountable, hold milestones, a little more of a structured environment. Right. Yeah. Even in my meetup, I meet people that are in a course or maybe they're doing independent study and they're thinking about uh, signing up for a course. And I just think that there's certain types of people they can learn on their own. But other types of people, they need that classroom environment, that yeah. motivation, the instruction, and, and that's the type of learning style that they need. I agree. And if they if they go into that environment, they can succeed if they put in the work. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, another thing I want to talk about demographic wise was we see, uh, and this is the kind of thing that that kind of makes me sad. Um, we see many, many more guys than than women, um, and I'm really want to turn that around um and i think the only way really to turn that around is to you know to get them when they're young like to get into the the grade schools and high schools and start talking about how much fun and how creative this industry is um, right we do see it's funny i've been saying for years that in my empirical experience that women make better coders than guys um and that's through <clears throat> i would say maybe 20 different jobs in my career working on so many different teams and then that GitHub article came out. I was like, aha, <laughs> I told you. <laughs> wow, we're going to link to that. What article? Uh, it, was a, it was a GitHub article um, basically saying that uh, women's contributions were uh, on, par, uh, on average more robust than men's contributions, um, but they were only favorably reviewed if the gender was hidden. And there's a, it's, much more in depth than, it's much more in depth than that, but... But yeah, if you go searching for that article, you'll, you'll certainly find it. Interesting. Yeah, every guest of the podcast has been male. And I, I mean, I knew it. And but then just seeing uh, I have a website where you can see uh, the, you know, the faces of the guests. And it's like a guy, every guy, <laughs> they're all guys. And I'm yeah. like, man, this is so I started to try to find female iOS developers, Swift developers uh, through Twitter. And uh I'm, I'm starting to find a few and I reached out to a couple and I actually have, uh, I'm going to be interviewing one. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm aware of that. And even me, I'm trying to like get the, the female Swift developers yep. out, out of the woodwork, you know? Yeah. And, and there's ways that you and I can help. Like you're doing that exact thing. Like you make a benchmark for yourself. You have to interview one woman, uh, a, a quarter or something like that. My, one of my uh, ways of dealing with it, and I took the lead from some very, uh, 
powerful and transforming women in Chicago, uh, CEOs and whatnot. Um, I'll never serve on a panel with just guys. Um, that's one small way that I can try to bring up the conversation. Interesting. Yeah, at my meetup, it's mostly guys. Sometimes uh, there'll be a girl that you know comes in, uh, but they—I don't think I've had. You know, there's two females that have come multiple times, like not just once, like a repeat uh, member. Um, yeah, well, I'm gonna—I'm gonna try to see about maybe some ways that I could do that in my meetup, not just yeah. the podcast. That's interesting. Yeah. And I think the the way to the way to address that is to to engage the you know to engage the women and say, you know, like, what do you want? What do you want to see? what would, you know, how could this change to make life better for women um, and use their input? Um, I often find that when I do it alone, when I try to tackle this problem, this specific problem alone, I miss the mark and I hit it much more accurately when I engage women in the conversation and try to figure it out with them. So one thing I want to talk about is how are these students that we were just mentioning, uh, you know, the non-programming students that are coming into your your boot camps, how are they responding to Swift and iOS development? A lot of them see Swift as this panacea that it will just solve all of their understanding problems. <laughs> <laughs> Why uh, is that? I don't know. I really, um, you know, it's so funny. Um, you know, I, I right now as, as, as a founder, um, I, I, have to, I have to look at this as a trust issue. Um, and even, I guess, as an instructor, I did too, uh, there's objective C can be kind of weird to look at if you've never seen anything like it before. And a lot of languages have more in common with your standard Java and C based languages. Objective C is a rare, rare language that takes its roots from small talk. And there are very few languages that have syntax that looks like that. And I think that you know, it's kind of like if you're looking at Cyrillic alphabet and you've only been exposed to the Arabic alphabet for your entire life, it's kind of like, wait a minute, I don't see what's going on here. The minute you see something more familiar, like for instance, if you're Arabic based uh, alphabet and you see Cyrillic and then you see an Asian character set, you're probably much more comfortable with the Cyrillic because it looks, at least it looks, at least it seems to adhere to a form factor that you're familiar with. What's and Cyrillic? I, um, Cyrillic is uh, uh, Russian, uh, any uh, Eastern oh, okay. European languages. Oh, kind of like Armenian. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. Oh gosh, Maybe. there goes my linguistics card. Somebody's <laughs> gonna yank that okay, away. Okay, but <laughs> like a, like you're familiar with it. Whereas if you were to look at like um, Chinese or something, yeah, you're like okay, yeah. I don't. Okay, and so, Objective C is like the Chinese to somebody that's at least seen JavaScript. I relate well, to that. Yeah, I mean, I never really saw. JavaScript before, but it just looked like English to me, whereas Objective-C looked more like computer language. <laughs> right, You right. know, void and dash and semicolon and too many square brackets and spaces <laughs> and asterisks and parentheses. Yep, yep. Um, okay, so the uh, your students are viewing it as a, a panacea to solve all their programming problems. Well, what did you mean by that? I, I would say they're understanding problems. So they... Okay, sorry. I, I think a lot of students see Swift as an easier path to learning and what, I would relate to that okay so my pushback would be you're not just learning the language you're learning iOS you're learning the architecture you're learning right. um, design patterns um, what I call the five pillars you know the language Xcode um, the frameworks the library where you yeah. go to learn about them and yeah. the design patterns yeah and so you want to start off with the hardest one first you want to start off with Objective-C as the language because it's the harder one to learn 
once you've got Objective-C down, Swift is going to be easier to, to master. And by the way, once you get to Swift, everything else is done already. You've already been exposed to the frameworks and the Xcode uh, and the architecture and design patterns. You've already been exposed to all that. None of that changes in Swift. It's all the same. Interesting. So I'm someone that works with Swift on a daily basis and does not want to work with Objective-C. So it sounds like <laughs> you would encourage me to go and open up a new project and start playing around with Objective-C. I would because, and, and I'll just say this, I was, um, one of my first real object-oriented languages was Smalltalk. So I fell in love with Objective-C the minute I saw it. And this is probably 1992. So I've got a real soft spot for Objective-C. I still like it. I love Swift, but I still really like Objective-C as a language. Okay, so and it sounds like you're, you encourage your students to not take an easier route in a way, to kind of challenge themselves, to not be afraid of this thing that they're unfamiliar with and to really, you know, to stick with it. And then the dividends will pay off after. It it's kind of sounds like what definitely, you're saying. Definitely, definitely, yeah. Education is not easy. Interesting. Wow. Man, I don't want to. I don't want to. <laughs> you know to. what, Derek? We'll, you know, we'll take this offline. We'll have a little coaching session afterwards. <laughs> nice. Okay, so besides that, though, how are they responding to, to Swift and iOS development? Are they able to succeed? So we've just now, we've, this is the second cohort where we have um, beefed up our Swift curriculum. So this is the first time where we're taking um, content that they hadn't seen, and now they're doing it in the new language. And uh, we've seen one cohort go through it, and it went pretty well. Um, and we're watching the second cohort through it go cohort go through it right now. Um, so so far, it's pretty good. It's it's in the fourth week. Uh, we sw we switched some of the some of the curriculum around, so they're not doing core data in Swift for the first time. Um, but yeah, uh, so far it's so far we're we're okay with it. Um, no major curriculum changes have come out because students like freaked out. So for the curriculum style, how do you teach uh, iOS development? Do you teach language features separately from application, or do you do you teach you like focus on frameworks and then learning about the language is sort of a, a result of that? That's do you right. Teach them kind of both at the same time. No, it's it's more of the it's more of the the middle one. So we we go after the the frameworks, um, the uh, life cycle, um, how the operating system works. Uh, writing code using a table view, and then kind of getting to delegation and kind of do, getting to um, parameter passing uh, in those terms. They also have uh, 30 to 40 hours of pre-course material to finish before they come in. So then what they, I mean, obviously they probably learn like the basic language features, but what they learn, the power of the language, the syntax, uh, it sounds like it's more of a result of the practical application. Yeah, and what we found is that students respond really, really well to a problem they can see in a context, but they respond. Totally. They, man, if you throw something at them to, as just a hypothetical or as a completely contrived example, they have a really hard time making that leap to something contextually appropriate. So we Definitely. learned that really early on that it's got to be something that, that, that they can see an application for. That's exactly my learning style. And that's why I created the meetup, actually, because a lot of the meetups I would go to, like Cocoa Heads, uh, et cetera, it was all about these kind of bigger ideas out of context. And yeah. for someone that was sort of looking on the outside, looking in, like yep. I needed to really put it to concrete, like example. Yeah. Um, so and that's, that's why I 
and that's not a learning style. That's simply how, how the brain works. Um, oh, wow. It's just easier to context. It's easier to wrap your mind around brand new things in context, which is why it's easier, uh, it's easier for your brain to learn something new the same way you've learned something else. So once you learn that second or third language, it's much easier to do that. Interesting. So one of my favorite things about well, I mean, my favorite thing about all this is what we do with it. And one of the things people are talking about with Swift, the language, is applying it to other things outside of Apple device programming, like server-side Swift. Have you thought about that at all? Oh, yeah. Just, yeah. Can, can you talk about that? I really want server-side Swift badly. Um, <laughs> so, I, so I mentioned web optics a while ago. Um, web objects, for people who don't know, it was the first web application programming uh, framework. That was it. There was nothing else around. WebObjects was number one. It was back in like 91 or 92. And it was all on Objective-C and it came out of Next Step. And then when Apple bought Next, it came over and then they, they, they moved it into Java. Um, but WebObjects was so well thought out. It was so good. And um, I think the only thing that in my mind that comes close to how well it was done is Rails, which is why which is what really, really drew me to Rails. Um, I would love to take the robustness of the uh, Swift compiler and apply that to a web framework. I want that so badly. I want to be able to use Xcode to build uh, web applications. It's okay. My when, dream. I, when you say web objects, do you mean like the b behind the scenes, like the back end? Uh, uh -huh. Yes. Or, okay. Yeah. So what did you say web objects was? You said it was it, it was, was the it was the first web objects uh, framework. So you know Rails or Django or right uh, Th these are thing these are languages that you use to write backend code right like well, server side code. Yeah, Rails is a framework written in Ruby and Django is a framework written in Python. Um, oh, okay. Right. So uh, web objects was a framework written in, in Objective C. Oh, okay. And so it was it was a web framework like a server side sort of web framework written objective c that you would use your you know client side code would interact with that framework that's right okay so you want to now but you just said you want to be able to write a web app in a in xcode now yeah. when you say web app do you mean back and front facing that's like, right yeah um okay and so when you say front facing you mean like it would be like a website running in a web browser Pretty much, yeah. Well, ideally, I want to use Interface Builder to uh, basically start. Um, my, my dream, and it's kind of crazy, but my dream is to use Interface Builder to to construct the front end templates using constraints, <laughs> right? Mapping into CSS. <laughs> you, you are preaching to the choir, my friend. Okay, but there's two things going on there, real quick, and yeah. I, and I want to talk about both. Let's talk about. Uh, we'll leave the more exciting one for for after. Okay. Have you seen what is already being done in terms of server-side Swift? There's like Perfect. Yes, um, IBM is doing something with, I think, KitTour. Okay. Uh, what is that not really what you're looking for? No, no, it is. It is. It's a step in the right direction. Absolutely. Okay, cool. it is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so you're, have you started playing around with that at all? No, I have not. Okay. Me neither. I want to. I uh, hope, <laughs> hope to eventually. Is that something you see yourself playing with soon and maybe implementing either at 8-bit uh, or in Mobile Makers? You know, I don't or, know I guess yet. It, Depends um, on the industry, maybe. Yeah, it depends. Well, in mobile makers, it definitely depends on the industry. I don't, I don't like to treat mobile makers like my personal playground, um, because it's it's very it, it impacts lives. Right. Um, and these point. students, okay. they have to they have to have a job when they you know they they've they've got a goal. Some of them have the goal of wanting jobs, 
Um, but they definitely want to be relevant. So that's, it's, it's not my, it's not my playground. 8-bit is my playground. Nice. Uh, but I will say this, that we have clients that we have to serve. So right. um, anything we play with, it's usually in the spirit of eventually translating that to some kind of a client value add. Um, so I have been playing around with Rust and Erlang in my spare time, but that's just for me. So server-side Swift, you haven't played with it yet, but it sounds like you might for personal projects soon. I'm hoping. Because yeah, I want to pick your brain and maybe you could, uh, I can have you back and you can tell us about it. Okay. <laughs> I definitely can't wait to do that. Yeah, I, I want to start doing it too, but I, I need to, uh, I'm kind of holding off on that. Okay, so now user-facing uh, web, like web content written in Swift in Xcode. Um, I don't know what that is, but my guess is it's somehow maybe you're using the same UI kit frameworks or a derivative right. and uh, Xcode and the Swift compiler. It's somehow compiling it down into whatever web browser understands HTML, CSS or something like well, that. Well, it would be it would be compiling it down to a server component, right? It would be the server um, exactly how Rails or Django or any of that stuff works. You would still have an HTML front end and it would just be talking to a Swift component on the back end. Interesting. Okay, because when you were saying uh, using constraints and X, and Xcode, uh, I was thinking like somehow you're building, you're designing the way the website looks and you're designing the logic and the interactivity all with Swift and Xcode and, and maybe some derivative of UIKit. Um, and then it just compiles and then, you know, the the uh, com compiler and, and whatever that that takes care of whatever the web browser understands am i understanding you correctly or almost correct? almost almost i mean it's you know you have to have a little bit of uh, of basic uh, i guess understanding about how web applications work so um the the if we're going to get into it the the your view controller would be on the web and your ui view would be um more or less your uh, html template up front more okay. or less. I say more or less because you're not going to be putting in a ton of view logic. That would all be your CSS and JavaScript. So the vision I have, because I, I <laughs> you know, because I, I mean, when I have time, when I can, I'll, I will learn web development when I need to. Because I really right. do want to make a website. I feel like not everything needs to be an app. Some things really make sense as a website. But I'm kind of hoping that I can use similar tools. Um, but it sounds like the vision you have, you would still be learning HTML or doing HTML and exactly. CSS or something. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yep. Okay. All right. Cool. Now, uh, one more thing. Swift open source. Are you familiar with it at all? Do you follow it? Have you contributed? What are your thoughts, if, if any, on Swift um, open source? I'm, so I know one of the core contributors um, at Apple, and I have not been keeping up with it. I've, I've been peripherally keeping up with it. I'm very excited by it. I think it's a great, great move by Apple. Uh, it shows tremendous um, aggression into getting this thing nice and solid. So I, I'm so happy with it. One recommendation, if you are interested, is Jesse Squire's Swift Weekly Brief. Mm -hmm. You can subscribe to an email or you can uh, uh, subscribe to it on Apple News. And he does an amazing job on doing a weekly digest of all the movement, uh, accepted, rejected, proposed, proposals, um, et cetera, all the discussion. Um, so if you, you know, if you can find some time, that's a really great way to keep up with it. Cool. Cool. Uh, and kind of relatedly, do you 
focus at all um, with source control and GitHub, uh, you know, using GitHub, for instance, because everybody's like, show me your GitHub. And you know, obviously <laughs> you can use different things. You can use yeah. Bitbucket, et cetera, or you can just have it locally and right. use Git on your device. Do you teach that at Mobile Maker? We do. Yeah. So we, um, uh, we, 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 do, we hit Git, Git as part of the proof request material and we hit Git the uh, first week. Uh, ideally, they are transferring their projects between uh, their pair programming groups um, through Git, and we do encourage that. Yeah, and we um, we had measured success with it uh, requiring it. Um, yeah, it's 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 hard. It's that's a very hard topic because it's one of those things that's so fundamental. Um, but you really, it's hard to get the students to un understand like how important it is. So we we end up hammering that point over and over and over again. Well. Thank you very much, Don. Uh, before we end, just one little piece of advice for people learning Swift. Go. Well, obviously, I would say get your hands dirty in Objective-C. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. That is so, so great. Okay. Well, Don, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, sharing your story with us. And for doing all that you do, teaching adults, teaching high school students, and I'm assuming building really, really great software. Uh, thank you for coming on the show and, and telling us your story. And I hope to speak with you again in the future. Yeah, Garrett, thank you so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. My pleasure. And that's the show, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Swift Coders podcast. Feel free to share the show with a friend, leave a review on iTunes, or recommend us on Overcast. If you have any questions, comments, or just want to say hi, contact me on Twitter. Until next time, go swiftly, my friends. Yeah.